Today's passage we'll be studying together is Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. Philippians 2, 19 through 30. Read it for us, and we'll go into the, the message together. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you uh, Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. That is God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, this time. Thank you that uh, we can worship together. Thank you that we can sit under your word. And in fact, because of the gospel, we can just relax in your presence. We can uh, cast all our anxieties and everything onto you and just rest in your uh, amazing presence. So would you restore us, God? Uh, would you uh, speak to us? And we trust that this word of yours that will be preached today will be the very word that you want us to hear as a church. Uh, so help us to uh, see uh, your loving hand uh, in the message and in your passage, God. Uh, thank you for this time. Uh, may we get to all worship together, uh, even though this time together. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you guys know that I was an advertising major when I was in college. And I worked a little bit in that field too after college. Uh, but one principle that I learned from the major as well as from work uh, from the field is that the most powerful advertising tool is word of mouth. That's what I learned and that's what I applied in, in the jobs too afterwards. What that means is that you know, when you scroll through uh, like different products on shopping app, apps, and you find a product that you think you know, looks uh, 
amazing, but then you may not buy it because you know you just are not interested in it. But then, say your friend or family member comes up to you and tell you, like it's an amazing product, you gotta buy it. Then you might pay more attention to it and even buy it. So that's word of mouth, right? Like, like testimonials. And over the years, I realized that that principle applies to spiritual lives too. Not that I'm, I'm saying that you know, marketing strategies are you know, part of our ministry or anything like that, but um, the principle, I think, is still re redeemable in, in spiritual life. Meaning, you know, when, when we hear about some doctrines in the Bible that may just you know, go over our heads and we're like, okay, sounds good, and then you move on. But then somebody might give a testimony about that principle or doctrine, and then you pay attention and your hearts might be moved too. So again, word of mouth. The reason why I mentioned that is because I think that's exactly what Paul is trying to do here in today's passage. Because uh, he has been laying out some theological work throughout this whole chapter. And let me read for us sort of a main theme verse for the entire chapter as well as perhaps the entire book of Philippians. It's found in Philippians 2, 3 to 4. Uh, there Paul says, In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So that's the main theme verse. And again, when you hear that, you know maybe it's a familiar verse to you, so you might recognize it, but you might just move on. Uh, but then... In today's passage, you know, Paul presents two real people, uh, as we'll see, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Uh, and, and he's doing that because he wants to give a testimony, testimonies of this you know, theme verse that we just read, so that it will be more real and powerful. So I pray that it will be powerful as we look at how real people live out uh, the principle of the Bible. The, there are three points for us, as usual. Uh, first point, uh, Timothy, just the characters, Timothy, first point. Second point, Epaphroditus. And the third point will be the church. First, Timothy. The subtitle for that is Timothy, a man of servanthood. Verse 19, Paul says this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. So Apostle Paul is currently in Rome under house arrest, uh, you know, awaiting a trial that would decide his fate. And he's telling the Philippian church, by the way, Philippi is in modern day Greece. So from Rome to Greece, he's telling them that he's planning on sending to them uh, one of his associates named Timothy so that Timothy can be a messenger, uh, that he would relay the news about Paul to the Philippian church, and he would also, in turn, come back to Paul and relay the news about the church uh, to Paul. And you might wonder, why messenger? Because back then there was no email or telephone. So, there had to be a human messenger, and Timothy was the guy. And, and, and now, 
as you can imagine, this this messenger work is an important task. It, it could it couldn't be it shouldn't be given to anybody because uh, if the messenger is not trustworthy, then he could twist the message and get the the original sender uh, in trouble. So, so now the question that we can ask is. Is Timothy the right guy? Is he qualified for this important task? And Paul gives two reasons why he is qualified. First point, first reason why he's qualified is found in verses 20 to 21. Uh, it says, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So Paul is here vouching for Timothy, saying that uh, unlike other people, other regular people who you know, na naturally seek their own interests, Timothy uh, seeks the interest of Christ over his own. And as a result, Timothy will genuinely care for the interest of Christ's body, namely the church, the, the people of Christ. And that's what Paul is saying here. And now, just pause there. Does what I just said sound familiar? Uh, the, 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 the words interests and you know, counting other people's interests over your own, that's exactly what we talked about, right? As a main theme verse of uh, this whole chapter. Uh, meaning that Paul is presenting Timothy as a living example of uh, that theme. That he's the guy that lives out that principle of counting others more important than himself. And now Paul goes further about Timothy and he'll actually ex explain where Timothy's attitude comes from. So verse 22, Paul says this, But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with the father, he has served with me in the gospel. So Paul is saying that Timothy has been serving for the gospel uh, very closely with Paul, so Paul can vouch for him. But also here, I want you to focus on the word serve. Uh, the, the word serve, uh, in Greek, Paul uses a very distinct word. The word has the word um, servant in English, but in Greek, doulos in it. And I believe he uses the word, instead of using other, all different kinds of words to describe serving is because you know, he used uh, another particular word back in uh, chapter 2, 7 uh, to describe Christ. So back in chapter 2, verse 7, he said, Jesus took the form of a servant. Again, the word there is doulos. So again, what Paul is saying is that Timothy's uh, self-giving character that he vouched for comes from his imitating the character of Christ. So what is character of Jesus? And we know from the scriptures that his whole life had the form of a servant or posture of a servant. Meaning, wherever he went or whomever he was with, Jesus tried to serve their needs. You know, if they needed physical healing, he served them that way. 
if the people needed guidance, he served them by teaching them. But ultimately, because all needed spiritual salvation from sin, he served them by dying on the cross. His whole life had the attitude and posture of service. So likewise, Timothy is striving to be like that. You know, he is trying to have that posture wherever he goes, especially to serve the needs of the gospel in people's lives. And as a result of that, you know, Paul saw that his life was characterized as caring for other people's interests over his own. You know, certain physical postures can stick with you, right? I think negatively speaking these days, because a lot of us work from home, uh, a lot of us kind of sit funny for a long period of time and you get pain and that posture sticks with you. And I'm sorry if you are going through that. But I think positive speaking, if you learn good postures and sustain those postures for a long period of time, it can really help you, especially in sports. Uh, for example, when I was in high school, uh, my mom made me take golf lessons. I think maybe she wanted to see that I had a, had a talent there. Uh, no, there was no talent there. But anyway, she um, you know, made me take the, take the lesson. Um, and I really hated it in the beginning because uh, if you have taken any golf lessons, you actually need like a particular angle and posture. But I just, want, like, I just consider that to be like uh, baseball, you know? Just like trying to hit the ball you know, as hard as I could, but I would keep missing the ball, and even if I hit the ball, the ball wouldn't fly that far. And, and at the time, I was an insecure teenager, so I just kept going at it, you know, but then, uh, you know, nothing would happen. Just the ball wouldn't, wouldn't fly that high. It was only when my instructor uh, told me, taught me uh, the, the right posture, and I listened, and I, you know, kept practicing in that posture, and one day, I swinged in that posture, and whew, that was that was amazing. That felt really good, but that was only once, I think. Uh, but anyways, it was just amazing feeling just because I had the right posture, and that's what posture does, especially in you know sports like golf. And now, there is a right posture for. Christ followers too, because Christ had the right posture. His posture is the right posture. And that posture is, figuratively, bended knees, arms stretched out for service, and a question coming out of your lips saying, what can I do for you? What can I do to serve? That's the posture of a servant. And we are called to carry that posture, you know, wherever we go, all spheres of our lives, into you know, our work, into our classroom, into you know, our family life, into church, wherever. That posture is to be our posture. And if you have that posture, instead of trying to use people for your benefit, or instead of you know, grumble, grum instead of grumbling when people don't do what you, know, you want them to do, you can simply ask, you know, what can I do to serve them instead of trying to be served? What are their needs? 
And especially, how can I serve their gospel needs? Where are they spiritually? That's the posture that Timothy had, and that's the posture that we are to have in all spheres of our lives. Second point, Epaphroditus, a man of surrender. Verse 25, Paul says this, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. Do you see the word messenger there? So if Timothy was to be a messenger from Paul to the church, Epaphroditus was to be a messenger from the church to Paul. And in fact, if you go all the way to chapter 4, verse 18, Epaphroditus was apparently commanded by the church to deliver financial gifts, money gifts collected in the church to, send, to be sent to Paul in order to support his ministry. And again, I have to remind you, people had to do that back then because there was no Venmo or anything else, right? So you need physical, you know, human messenger for that too. And besides that delivery task, uh, it seems that Epaphroditus also had the task of assisting Paul in Rome, and staying there with him, and trying to you know, uh, minister to his other needs in ministry. And that's why in the verse, Paul calls him a minister to my need. It fits there. And, and in the verse, Paul says, uh, he decided to send Epaphroditus back to the Philippian church. The question is, why? Why do you have to send him back? Verse 26, he says this. For he has been, Epaphroditus has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. So Paul is sending him back because uh, Epaphroditus was missing the church greatly. Also, more importantly perhaps, he was really worried about the church. So apparently, if you read on, Epaphroditus got sick and he almost died either during or after the journey to Rome. And somehow the word got around to the church and obviously the people in Philippi were worried about Epaphroditus. But here, now what's interesting is that Epaphroditus is, is distressed at the fact that the church is distressed. Uh, at the fact that the church was concerned about uh, Epaphroditus. There, by the way, the word distress uh, is a very strong word in Greek. It's used as elsewhere to describe uh, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, in Luke's account uh, at the garden, Jesus was sweating blood uh, because he was distressed about the cross that he was about to bear. So you see, Epaphroditus was in that kind of deep anguish, uh, deep distress, Again, because he felt like he burdened the church emotionally. And what's incredible about that is, again, he, he was sick. He was recovering, but he was still sick. And, and at that time, he was supposed to be you know, worried about his own physical health. But in reality, he was worried about the church's emotional health in response to his physical health. Here, what, what Paul is trying to do what he's trying to show us is that Epaphroditus, like Timothy, had the character 
that genuinely cared more about others than himself. So again, Epaphroditus, just like Timothy, is the, the role model, the, the real-life example of the principle that we looked at earlier, humbly counting others more significant than yourself. And then, last thing about Epaphroditus, uh, Paul go, goes on to show that uh, his root is in Christ, too, about his character. Verse 29 and 30 says, So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So in order to fulfill his calling to serve Paul uh, on behalf of the, the Philippian church, Epaphroditus you know, risked his life and he ended up getting sick and nearly died in, in that ministry. And there, let me give you another uh, Greek uh, background again. Uh, in fact, if you have ESV Bible, you should have footnote there uh, over the words nearly died. Uh, and it should say, in, in Greek, it's rendered, he drew near to the point of death. And that's significant because, again, back in the passage about Jesus, Paul said this in chapter 2, verse 8. It said, Jesus became obedient to the point of death even death on the cross. And, and there, for, for the, the phrase, to the point of death, Paul is using the same phrase, same Greek phrase for both verses. So again, if you are following me, Paul is trying to show that Christ is the source of a godly character for uh, both for Epaphroditus and Timothy. For Epaphroditus, just as Jesus gave his all in his service to humanity on the cross, Epaphroditus also tried to give his all in his service uh, to the Philippian church. And he almost died because of that. And if we're to pause there, I think Epaphroditus is a good reminder that a genuine service to Christ is bound to cost us. And Jesus warns us in Luke 14, 26, saying, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Meaning that if you value Christ and his work so much more, then your attitude towards everything else will look like that of hatred. That's what Jesus is saying there. And that's true. If you're to follow Christ, if you're trying to serve others in Christ's name, there must be cost, right? Our time, you know, we have to come out of our comfort zone, so convenience and money. And especially if you're trying to really, um, you know, serve people in the gospel needs, if you're trying to you know, share the gospel with them, and sometimes it'll cost us the relationship with our friends, co-workers, family members. It could cost us our jobs, prospect to move up the ladder, and some of us may have to lose face simply with our neighbors. But the uncomfortable yet sobering question we should be asking now in light of this passage is, you know, is there any cost to 
my following Christ right now? You know, what am I sacrificing every day? Is there anything I'm sacrificing for God, for, for Christ, in order to serve them in Christ's name? What is the cost? Uh, there's a comedy show that Deb and I like to watch sometimes uh, on YouTube. It's called uh, Kian Peel. I don't know if anybody is into that. But in one of the episodes, um, it's like a skit, right? It's a short skit. Uh, there are people sitting in a circle in somebody's living room, and, and they're praying passionately. They're praying especially about you know, the poor and uh, those who are in need. And then all of a sudden, God shows up, right? And then they start hearing God's voice from the ceiling, and there's like, you know, like light coming down. And everyone's like, you know, in, in awe, they're like, whoa, God is here, right? And then God says, you know, I have come to, you know, answer your prayers. So now, in, in light of your prayer, go sell, all your go, go sell all your possessions, go sell everything to serve the poor. And right there, you see people's faces and they're like uncomfortable. And then one of them speaks up, uh, just to clarify, sell everything? And God says, yes, right? And then, a few moments later, again, a lot of uncomfortable faces, and then one of them like screams, this house is haunted. And they all like run outside and you know, that's the end of the story. Or before that, God says, God sighs and he says, I see what they did there. And then that's the end of the skit. And it's a secular, you know, comedy show, but I was so rebuked because I think that's the reality, isn't it? Like we might pray for grand things and a lot of good, good things that we need to be praying for. But when it comes, comes down to us actually serving people's needs, we may be just like the people that ran out of the house and ask God, like, just to clarify, everything? Again, you know, what is the cost in our lives? You know, what do we need to give up to serve others? For Epaphroditus, he risked his life. And lastly, the church the church, a real-life community. So, so far, you know, studying these two people about their character, about their servanthood, and about their, you know, surrender, uh, this might make you feel like this is like an individual project. It's like a moral develop development project. You have to be like Christ, and that's a good thing, but it may sound like it's just a project that you do individually, like even cerebrally. But if you read through the passage as a whole, you'll notice that Paul's emphasis is community. He's promoting that there would be real love and down-to-earth relationship in the mix of you becoming more like Christ in your you know, attitude about serving. It's out of your brain. It's out of your cerebral, you know, whatever. It's real-life relationship. And again, this is evident throughout the whole passage, but let me just go through with you uh, two places in the passage that show that it is indeed about relationships. Verse 26, uh, Paul said earlier that Epaphroditus has been longing for the Philippians. The word longing uh, is not simply you just missing people because you haven't seen them in a while. It's more than that. It actually means intense yearning. 
the Korean War, uh, because I grew up in Korea, I obviously learned a lot about it you know, in, in person and uh, like lived through just different consequences of the war in Korea. But it was a gruesome war. And one of the many tragedies that the war left uh, in Korea, in, in Korean society, is that uh, the many biological families were separated physically during the war. And even after the war, you know, that was not resolved. And even now, there are many you know, separations uh, among families. And in, in fact, my mother's side of the family uh, are from North Korea, and, and they haven't seen you know, their like, aunts and you know, people in their extended families for decades now. And over the years, uh, the, the North and South Korean governments, they attempted to reunite these this families you know, uh, out of goodwill for them. Uh, but reunion means like not permanent. You know, they're trying to set up some meetings where they could see each other uh, for like few hours. And as you can imagine, these meetings are very emotional. Uh, you know, they're like they're not even talking to each other because they're crying. They're so busy, you know, hugging each other, and there's a lot of emotion there. And what's happening is, you know, these two families they love each other, and they're they have been intensely you know, yearning for one another so that when they actually meet with one another, there's this high emotion. And similarly, I want you to see here that the love and heart that Epaphroditus has for the Philippians is like that. It's real. It's intense. He would be saying, man, I'm dying to see you guys. And his attitude of caring for their welfare more than his own is not because he had this, again, moral project or, or that he just thought it was a duty. But he's doing that because he really genuinely loves them. There was real human relationship between them. And in second place, verse 27, it's about Paul towards Epaphroditus. Uh, there it says, Indeed, he, Epaphroditus, was ill, uh, near, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. So again, Epaphroditus got sick and he almost died. But then, you know, God had mercy on him and he healed him. But Paul also says that if God had not healed him, Paul would have been having grief, sorrow, grief upon grief. And he's, he's, he's acknowledging that there's already a lot of grief in his life because of ministry. But he's saying that if, if, if uh, Epaphroditus, his dear friend and, and a brother in Christ, if he died, that would have been a heavy blow in his life. And he goes on in verse 28 saying, I'm all the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may, uh, may be less anxious. So Paul is anxious about the church and about the well-being of Epaphroditus. So you see here, just putting these verses together, Paul is being very real in this portion of the verse. You might be a little confused, like, wait, Apostle Paul, he can be anxious too? That he can be grieving too? Well, first of all, if you look to the Bible, uh, you know, grief and 
you know, anxiety, those are not necessarily sinful. But rather, when you see that Paul is anxious about these guys, it just shows the magnitude of his love for them. Like, like for example, let's say one of my family members you know, gets on a train, and you know, later I hear that the train got derailed, and so that I hear the reports of more than one person uh, you know, getting injured, seriously injured. Immediately, I'll feel anxious about my family member, right? Even though I don't know what happened to that family member exactly. Uh, but then, to be really honest, I wouldn't be so anxious about the other people on the train. Meaning, again, there were more than one people, um, one person, you know, getting injured. So there are, could be there are multiple people that got injured. Am I anxious about them? Not really, to be really honest. Am I sorrowful towards them? I, I'll feel bad, but not really. I'm not that anxious. It's because I don't have a relationship with them. But I have this strong relationship with this family member of mine. And therefore, my heart goes out to that family member. And, you know, I'm sorrowful and anxious. Meaning, Paul's anxiety and, and, and sorrow towards Epaphroditus shows the force of his genuine love towards him. So you see, again, seeing Paul and Epaphroditus from these, these verses that we just looked at, you see that spiritual growth, uh, becoming more like Christ, it, it involves, it actually thrives in the context of community. It, it thrives in the context of real human relationships. Without that, it doesn't thrive. It doesn't grow. So naturally, what that means for us as Church of Christ, as a community, is we need to do our best to cultivate these relationships. And, and yes, I know this is pandemic and, and we know all the limitations. But again, the, without the relationships, without um, the, the genuine fellowship, there would be little growth in spiritual life. Uh, this past Friday, uh, we had a fun FNL uh, where we played you know, games and had fellowship you know, with one another. And uh, we broke into uh, you know, smaller groups of four to five people per room. And, and we played this icebreaker, icebreaker game you know, where we had to come up with the two truths and one lie as a whole group, uh, meaning we had to find things in common. Um, so, uh, so three statements, right? So we had to like, ask a lot of questions uh, a lot of good questions, but it was hard because, you know, to find, like, three commonalities. So a few questions were, like, one question. One person asked, do you guys use chopsticks when you eat chips? And several people said, like, oh, yeah, I do that. And I was like, ah, never done that. Probably never, ever will. Um, so we didn't. Take that one. Uh, but another person asked, you know, do you like to put sriracha mayo on French fries? And I was like, ah, uh, kind of, yeah, yeah, I could do that, I could do that. So I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I raised my hand. So we chose that as one of the true statements, right? The point is, it was a hard activity because we are such different people, right? 
And especially me, I was you know, a lot older than the rest of them. So I, I, I thank those guys for doing their best to fit me in to, to, to that group. But it was hard. But I really appreciated the whole activities, like the whole uh, night, because I got to know them better. I got to know these guys better. And if you get to know uh, some people better, what's going to happen? It builds relationship. And again, going back to what we looked at earlier, if there's a relationship, then you can love them better. And if you love them better, you can grow with them better organically in Christ. That means we are no longer strangers uh, that you know we wouldn't really feel anxious when something happens to them. But now, you know, we're going to be family members whom you'll feel hurt even if something happens to that person. That's what happens when you got to know a person, there's a relationship, and you got to love them as real people. And so I want to speak to our church um, in, in closing. I just want to say, like, thank you guys for hanging in there. I mean, uh, you know, through live stream too. Thank you for hanging in there. Uh, this year, I think it's been crazy hard for a lot of people, especially as a community. Uh, but I'm thankful that, you know, we're still sticking together. And I think one evidence of that was, to me, the, the retreat, you know, where we got to see pretty much the entire church, you know, worshiping together and, you know, getting to see each other once again and, you know, get to see that there is a community, there is a re real human relationship that still exists in our church. And, and my prayer is that we will continue to cultivate that. And again, I know it's, it's hard for us to do that naturally, but I think in light of this passage, because relationship is that important, that crucial for our Christian walk, I think what that calls us to do is going out of our way and reach out to people more actively and make our relationships real, keep it real, and keep it organic, and keep it going. And I think as a result, my hope is that maybe perhaps we can be the testimonies, we can be the real-life examples that tell the world that the biblical concept of community is not just on the pages of the Bible, but it's real thing. Let's pray together. Let's pray and search our hearts. Um, again, I think Paul is at pains trying to demonstrate that what he is teaching in this book and in all his letters are not just concepts, are not just uh, you know project that individual Christians uh, take on uh, in their uh, you know quiet times as important as as they are. Um, the the basis, the context of our growth is community, uh, the real human down-to-earth, you know, even sometimes sweaty uh, and messy at times. Um, that's what we're called to, and, um, and I think there's obviously a test going on, right? Um, 
because of the pandemic and nobody expected this I think um, to this extent and but God is sovereign you know he he knew he he planned um, this to be happening and and I know he has a purpose for his church for CLC and all other local churches during this time um, so maybe be praying right now just um, asking God to um, help us to be more like Christ not just so that we will feel better about our accomplishments or growth but so that we can be used by God uh, for the sake of other people that we would be servant having the posture to one another that we would uh, sacrifice whatever it takes um, in order to serve others whether it's discomfort, awkwardness, um, all of which you know, I have too. Um, but may we get over them uh, by His grace. Um, can we just pray? Uh, just search in our hearts and let me close for us after. Heavenly Father, thank you for your amazing love for us that, uh, that, that never ceases. That your love is unconditional and uh, so we come before you with uh, many uh, different baggage uh, different failures um, and thank you for your grace uh, that helps us to uh, forget the past and grow and we can look to the future with such hope um, but lord uh, awaken our hearts towards one another um, awaken our hearts to see that we belong uh, to your community and um, give us wisdom and give us vigor to uh, reach out to one another, whether it's a setting of one-on-one -on -one meetings or um, life group meetings or all the other church gatherings. Uh, may you shine uh, your grace through that so that we can uh, really uh, be the real life testimonies of uh, people of community, people of um, you know, Christ-likeness. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you for everything that you are doing in our lives, in our church. Pray in Jesus' name. Okay, let's just uh, pray together for our life groups and our church community before we finish. I think it's really cool how, you know, um, as we've been looking at Philippians 2, here and there, just how you know the passage talks about Christ first. You know, like his uh, his love for us and his sacrifice for us, and everything that Jesus, the Son of God, did in coming and taking on the nature of humanity and dying on the cross in obedience to God, and all of those things, and then how the chapter finishes with real life examples of Christ's humility and sacrifice. And I just think it's really fitting, you know, because anyone who does anything for someone in the name of Christ is because we receive something from uh, Jesus first. Uh, and not only that, but as we do those things, as we serve one another, and as we sacrifice for one another, and as we long for one another and just have that kind of heart it's just it just goes full circle it's just as we do that 
what that means is God is continuing to do those things in the lives of other people. Everything that we read about in Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, God is continuing to do that through the, um, the human manifestations of God's love uh, as He works through us. So, so I think it's really cool how that works in um, our church community as we receive God's love. Um, and as we show that to others, God is showing His love to our brothers and sisters around us. And so, so let's pray, thinking about our community, our life groups, um, people around us that are still in need of the, the touch of Jesus Christ, uh, that God would demonstrate that through us to that person. So can we pray that for a moment? And then we'll close our time in prayer and benediction. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for the ultimate manifestation of that love through Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins, his death and resurrection that changed the course of history, that makes our future hope a reality. We thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you that you're continuing to demonstrate that in the local church through brothers and sisters that receive concrete, real, daily love from you. And as we display that with our hearts, with our hands, with our feet, we thank you that your love is becoming real to those in need. We thank you that you demonstrate your comfort, you demonstrate your kindness, you demonstrate the reality of the love of the cross that, that kept Jesus hanging there. We thank you that we can see that in a real visible way through the, the community that we see around us. We know that there are real needs today among us, heart that are, hearts that are longing, that are in need, hearts that are in pain. We pray that you would quicken the hearts that are near those hurting hearts so that Christ's love, His comfort, His kindness would be near, would be real. Just thank you so much for how the, um, the community works, the beauty of the body of Jesus Christ. Strengthen us, Lord, with your love. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the, the amazing perfect, unconditional love of the Father God and the fellowship and the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit be with you, God's people, both now and forever.